Blue Wire. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Rebuild. I'm Henry Ettinger, and coming back to the podcast after a one-episode hiatus is none other than Jordan Climax. Jordan, what did you do with all your time off from the podcast? <laughs> a little move, Henry. Uh, actually, uh, getting ready to move here, so taking care of all of that and uh, just watching some uh, some college hoops, man. Uh, March Madness in full swing. Um Kind of gotten boring over the past couple of days, though. You know, it's not, not a lot of parody anymore. We got all these one seeds taking care of business. And so, I mean, Houston's being that being that only number two seed to get in there. So, you know, kind of the madness of March kind of died down. So and then I was wasting my time watching the Cavs, which we won't get into because that is a, a shit show in itself. So <laughs> that's it's kind of what I've been doing. <laughs> I turned out on a, a, a Cavs jazz game. Uh, and Oof. by the time I turned it on, there was a, a discrepancy of more than 30 points. And I was like, you know, it's same exact thing here. I, tur- I was like, you know, let me just flip on and see what the score is. It was 16 and a half point spread. It was like 66 to 33. I was like, OK, yeah. I, I pride myself on watching the Cavs so I, I can give proper takes when I'm asked of it. Yeah. But there are some nights I turn them on. And I'm like, you know, I'm just not going to learn anything about this team tonight. And yeah. uh, uh, especially when Colin Sexton's not playing, I was like, you know, uh, my, my time is better served watching March Madness. <laughs> and of course, diving into Brown's research on Davion Clowney. Yeah. Jordan, we got to start That's there. It. That was the biggest news since we last talked Jadavion Clowney at the end of last week visits the Browns. No contract immediately came out of that. He returned from the visit per Adam Schefter, but that's the only visit he's taken. And there are still a lot uh, of speculation about the fact that Clowney is going to end up in Cleveland. Of course, as everybody, as a reminder to the podcast listeners out there, the Browns pursued Jadavion Clowney last year as well. So Jordan, what are your thoughts about Jadavion Clowney in the brown and orange? You know, it's kind of tough. Like, I don't really know my, what my thoughts are, if that makes sense. Like, when I first saw the news, my kind of my initial reaction was like, so all the Browns fans that like three months ago were like, oh, this dude sucks. I'm glad he never came here. We never wanted him anyway. Didn't have any sacks last year. And then all of a sudden, they're like, oh, Jadavian Clowney, let's go. Like, let's bring Jadavian Clowney here. That was a quick 180. <laughs> that was that was my first react. And then kind of when yeah. to look back on it, I was like, all right, does it make sense? I guess it makes sense. I don't know what the price tag is. That's the biggest question for me. But, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, I guess I would take him, right? Like, I, it didn't get me excited. It didn't, like, I, to me, he's kind of one of those guys where, like, and, you know, we've been on this podcast a bunch of times, Henry, talking about the character guys that the Browns are, the type of players that the Browns have brought in this offseason. Tech McKinley aside, he's had some off-the-field issues. We look at a Troy Hill, you look at a, a John Johnson, guys with high character, um, even uh, Anthony Walker, your boy, guys who his teammates have have spoken highly of. Like, those are the kind of guys that we've brought in here. So, And then you look at Jadavian Clowney. To me, he's kind of the opposite of that, like a guy who we've always been like, we want more from you. We want more from you. Why aren't we getting it? So I don't know. I, I, maybe you can talk me into him. Maybe you can tech, talk me out of him. I'm kind of still on the fence about it. It's one of those things where like, I guess I would take him. And if I opened up Twitter in 10 minutes and saw, hey, the Browns agreed to a deal with Jadavion Clowney, I'd probably talk myself into being like, okay, this can work. This will work. But I'm kind of on the fence right now, Henry. 
Jordan, I want to come out with a strong opinion and sway you, but I'm not sure I'm going to be that guy. <laughs> so we'll take us we'll take a step back. The case for Jadavion Clowney is okay. Maybe he didn't live up to the hype as the number one overall pick, and after that South Carolina career where he had that huge hit against the Michigan running back and all that stuff. Maybe he's not that, but. He has been productive as a pass rusher in his career. Although he didn't have any sacks last year, the advanced numbers as far as pressure rate are pretty strong. There is a case that he is still maybe not an elite pass rusher, but a very capable number two opposite Miles Garrett. The argument against Clowney, and I think I lean slightly more this way, is a guy that Honestly, seems to have some character questions around him as far as when he comes into the locker room, the reports aren't always fantastic. It's tough when, when I haven't been around a guy like that. I don't love to judge those. There's nothing damning, uh, nothing, you know, morally objectionable. So I, I can put shows aside. I can, I can, I, I'm, I'm not bothered by that. The real issue to me is declining production in his career. And you look at that Titans defense last year. They could not, not get off good. the field on third down at all. Right. And that's not it, all Cloudy's fault <laughs> by any means, but they were historically bad getting off the field on third down. And so if, if you're the Browns and you're thinking to yourself, okay, why are we bringing on, in Jadavion Clowney? It's to get off the field on third down against Pat Mahomes, against the Buffalo Bills. So is he an upgrade over – Tack McKinley and maybe the 26th pick or our second, third rounder, maybe. But as you mentioned, it really comes down to the price tag. Now, there were reports today. I think I saw Jeremy Fowler put it out there on radio today that he's hearing $7 million-ish in a one-year deal with up to $10 million uh, with some incentives built in. That's not terrible. I think you probably – it's get more production out of the 26th pick, but maybe the Browns are thinking if we get Clowney, that gives us some flexibility to trade back. If we don't like the talent there, Browns probably still need a safety in the draft as well. So I'm open to it exactly like you are. I'm open to it, but I don't love it either. Yeah. And like, if you talk about Clowney's production, I think his argument would be, you know, hey, I'm one of those guys that's double teamed all the time because, you know, we're talking about Tennessee Titans. They didn't obviously have a defensive line that would jump out at you or scare the opposing offensive line or the opposing offensive coordinators game planning for them. So I think that would be his kind of his argument of like, hey, I'm, I'm one of those guys that's double teamed. They pay a ten- lot of attention to me because I'm really the only guy that can get things done on um, the on the defensive line. But who's... Uh, do we know what his double team? Uh, I was I'm trying to find this. What his double team rate was last year? Because we've talked about before, like the sacks weren't there with JJ Watt, but like he was, I think the most double teamed by percentage of snap player in the NFL last year. I don't know if Clowney was up there. I believe he only played in eight games last year, but I'd be interested to see those numbers and kind of how you could uh, tie that into the Browns. And then you you hit on the point, Henry, of like, is he an upgrade over Tech McKinley? Yeah, I think he is, but like. To me, it's like, is the combination of Tack McKinley and Jadavian Clowney an upgrade over Olivier Vernon and what we had last year? And to me, that certainly is. And that's probably the way that I could lean on and talking myself into it. But again, it all comes down to dollar figures. I would be, I would be open to one year, $7 million. That's, uh, it's doable under the bronze cap. It wouldn't, you know, put a, any, any holds on us moving forward. And 
I think that's kind of the way that Andrew Barry is building the back end of this defense with these one-year deals and not tying up a lot of funds for when obviously we know that we have to extend Baker, extend Chubb, extend Denzel Ward and those guys. So uh, one year, 7 million, I would, I would listen to Henry. Where do you come out on that? I listen to it as well. I think that's a much better offer than what I was guessing was going to be the offer. I was, I thought he might be seeking a little bit more money than that, but look, the market's not there for him. If he's still taking free right. agent visits, the, the market clearly isn't that hot for Clowney. And I'm there. I think, so here's, Here's the case, as I'm, as I'm thinking about this more and more, we're talking it out. I like it because I think you can't, Clowney's not good if you have to depend on him. Mm-hmm. However, in the Browns case, I don't think they necessarily have to depend on him. I think Tack McKinley is going to be in the rotation. I think there's uh, opportunities for some of our tackles to slide outside at times. Malik Jackson, we talked about that, could could potentially fill that role as well if Clowney's not available. And maybe they add somebody else in the draft in addition to Clowney as far as a potential role filler as well. So as I think about it, you can't have too much depth on the D-line. Garrett isn't the healthiest guy. And so if he misses any time, you're going to want depth at the DN position. So... If it's one year, seven million, as a guy that's going to come in and be a part of the rotation, I think that works. Now, the challenge is, is Jadavion Clowney going to accept being part of the defensive line rotation? Or is mm-hmm. he going to see himself as a, a guy that needs to you know, build his value back up to get back on the market next year as, as, a, as still considered a... a reasonably elite pass rusher. I don't know that, but I'm guessing he views it more like the latter situation. Yeah. I would hope that he would kind of come to his senses and be like, Hey, like you said, Henry, like his best years and he's at his best when you don't have to rely on him. And I look at two years in 2017 and 2018, I believe he was close to 10 sacks. I think he had nine in each year. And of course that's playing alongside JJ Watt and the defensive edge for Houston. So, like, if you can pair him with Miles Garrett and Miles Garrett can play that kind of J.J. Watt role, maybe even better than J.J. Watt was playing it in Houston alongside Clowney, then I think that's when you can get to talking. But I don't know. Again, I don't know where he comes at from his character. I don't know how he would fit into this locker room. And the other thing I wanted to mention, Henry, too, like, we talked about, like, yeah, he, it was just a visit, right? Like, and to me, in, in um, you know how free agency was last year, right? Like, uh, free agency last year was right in, like, the bulk right in the middle of right when everything was getting crazy with COVID. So from that standpoint, a lot of free agents visits and all that were done over zoom. were done over the phone. were done via video chat. So I think that more than anything, almost Henry, that this visit to Cleveland this year, was kind of like a, Hey, we didn't get, weren't able to get in a room with you last year. Let's get in a room with you now and kind of figure out, see where you are. So you get that in-person vibe. Cause we know, I mean, we've been doing interviews, Henry, we're part of the media. Like uh, there's nothing, yeah, you can make a Zoom interview work and like, yeah, it is possible, but it's still never going to be as good as that one-on-one interaction where you get raw emotion, you kind of get the raw character of someone. And I think that's exactly why the Browns brought Clowney in for this visit. And I think that if they were really blown away by how he presented himself, how he said that he would fit in this team, what he was going to bring to this team, this community and all of that. I think a signing would have happened pretty quickly. And the fact that it didn't maybe makes me lean towards the fact that maybe the Browns were like, hey, like, hey, it was good to meet you, get in person and kind of have this one-on-one, but hey, we might go in a different direction because that's that's kind of what it seems like to me. You know what I mean by that? 
Yeah, I think I think that's fair. I think that a lot of this comes down to, to Clowney's temperament. And, and so mm-hmm. I, I could see that Brown's wanting to get a gauge of, of how he's viewing this situation. Ultimately, the numbers are there. And, and I think that's why you can justify this if you're Andrew Barry and company. The guy was the 19th defensive end in PFF last year. The pressure rate's decent. Yeah, there's no sacks. But he has – and the other thing that's good, I think, about Clowney is – He's variable, which could actually be a good thing for the Browns because Garrett, you know, Miles Garrett is consistently wreaking havoc on the other team, right? But Clowney in some big games, uh, the Monday night game with Seattle comes to mind from, I think, two years ago. He steps up and has these monster performances where you're like, wow, they can't stop him. And he also has other games where he shrinks away and that's an right. issue if he's your number one guy. But if he's in the if he's your number two guy, that variability could could be a nice a, a piece for the Browns. Where on some games you might get a guy who's a top ten pass rusher in the league. But so here's my issue with that, Henry. And like to me, that screams like, hey, it's a Monday night game. It's a Sunday night game. The bright lights are on. It's easy to get up for those games. Where it's hard. It's a one o'clock Sunday afternoon game against the Detroit Lions. Something along those lines, right? Like. I need you to come up, be as up for that game as you are for that Monday night game, because it's, we know, I mean, it's a 17 game season this year, but like we need, and you're fighting for a playoff spot, fighting to be a contender. Every single game matters, especially with the NFL going to adding another regular season game. So I need you to bring that same energy. I need you to be that same guy in the locker room. You need to be that same guy on the field on a Sunday, one o'clock game as you are on a Sunday night. Monday night game because again it's easy to get up for those games it's harder to get up for the games where the national spotlight isn't on you and that's what I need and that's what this team needs and I don't know if he can bring that maybe not but I look at what the Browns needed out of Olivier Vernon last year I thought Vernon had a nice season and you look at Clowney's stats and they're they're basically the same if you look at all the relative stats he didn't play as many games obviously and that's a concern as well as his health, but I'm, I'm getting to be pro Clowney, which I thought I was going to be anti really coming into this conversation. I built up the con case <laughs> a lot more than the pro case in my prep sheet here. I just, it, I think part of it is the reputation that, that has me yeah. soured a little bit on Clowney and another piece of it for me. And this is not a, a great analytical take by any means, but the signing of Clowney feels like one of those signings where all of a sudden the people start talking about the Browns in a little bit of a different way is like, Ooh, more studs, more studs. And I, I don't know if I necessarily like all that uh, yeah. attention and hype in the off season. that doesn't actually impact the on field performance, but that I feel like all of that made me want to be anti this signing. I look at the numbers though. I look at the games I watched of Clowney last season and the games I've seen of him in his career and it makes the fit is there to me where it could make some sense. I think there's a, a more than 50% chance that if the Browns sign Clowney to a one year, $7 million deal, we look at that as a positive at the end of the year or just a, eh, like not a, not a bad signing. I feel like it doesn't go bad in a lot of ways. I, it seems relatively low risk to me. Yeah. But that's, again, that's, that's hoping and praying that it's a one year 
somewhere in that seven million to ten oh, million dollar range. If it's two years, I'm I'm yeah. out on this immediately. I'll tell you exactly. that exactly. Right, right, exactly. Because two again, real years, also two real years, not NFL years. So, but here's also the problem with that. So, say that you do sign Jadavion Clowney to one year deal, and and he has a good year, and it's like talking about like, hey, he was a success on this defense. Our defense was really a lot better, and he played a role in it getting better. And then you look at Tack McKinley and say, hey, he played a role in this defense getting better as well, also on a one-year deal. So it's like, where do you go from there, right? Like, where, where is the conversation next year if you have two of these guys on one-year deals on the opposite side of Miles Garrett? And, we, then, and then we figure out how important it actually is to have that guy alongside Miles Garrett. And that kind of puts you in a hole for next year, talking about, okay, well, we shored up that spot for one year, saw a lot of success, helped us out, maybe put us on a Super Bowl run. But now both these guys' contracts are expiring, and they had good years. They're going to want to get paid. We can't pay them now. That you, you see what I'm saying? Like that's a possible situation that we could find ourselves in as well. I get that, but to me, that's the argument to take somebody at 26 too and throw them in the rotation with these guys. T- Tack McKinley, I almost see as break glass in case of emergency. I don't mm-hmm. want him on the field for consistent snaps for this team unless there's injuries, which there very well could be. But uh, yeah, see, Henry, I get that, but like my thing is. The Browns have been so interested in him and they wanted to bring him in for so long that I don't think that they are looking at him as like, hey, you're an emergency situation. They I think that they think one that year, could, $4 million. No, I, I get I that. Mean, but the fact that they wanted him so bad, I think screams to me that they like what they've seen on tape and how he can fit into this. Deal. I think that they think that he's the perfect fit for what Joe Woods wants to do. And if that's the case, Henry, he's going to be on the field. Like if that's just, that's just how it's going to work out. Because you don't like who, I, how how often have we seen a guy coveted? We placed three waiver claims on him, and he couldn't pass a physical. All of a sudden, he becomes a free agent. The Browns are on him that second, like that. You don't have that kind of interest in a guy that you're looking at as a second or third string defensive end, in my opinion. I, I just don't think that's how it works. I to me, the contract indicates that 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 that's how they view. see. That doesn't see to me. That just indicates smart smart front office play. And, and they understand the cap going forward. Understand that you can't sign this well, guy. Then, to then a two why are they looking at because... Clowney at all? If they're if they're so sold on Tack McKinley, why are they looking at Jadavion Clowney? I mean, I it this because to it, me it, indicates they're not they're not banking well, that's on my him. Point. Like, so if they're going to put him on a one year deal as well, then I think that that's the situation that you get into at the end of the year. Who of those two guys would you want to re-sign and bring back? Because we know, like you're going to like if we're if both these guys come in on one year deals, Henry. You and I are sitting here doing the same podcast that we did three times already, talking about who the Browns are going to be able to get on that defensive end to go alongside Miles Garrett. But that's that's how it's going to play out. It is. Well, that's that's my point. Is I I would advocate that they draft another guy as well at that position. You bring in, you've got Tack McKinley, Clowney, your twenty sixth pick, or somebody else in the draft, second, third round, whatever it, it may be, and Garrett. That's that's four defensive ends right there. That's not uncommon i would say that that's right lines up as far as the roster is concerned and then you go from there and you see you see how it plays out i'm i, I don't want to be banking on tactic yeah if they both play great and you're like okay how who do we re-sign like that's the best case scenario if these guys both yeah. play well and then you have to worry about re-signing them fantastic but but i to me the odds are that that's not going to happen and i want assurance that there's going to be number one a, a long-term potential option there and and number two some some safety uh, bah, uh 
behind Clowney or Tack McKinley. I don't want to have to trust either of those guys yeah. it, it, for every single game of the season. No, I agree with you, Henry. I just think that the point I was making about Tack McKinley is, and some of the things that I've heard behind the scenes is like they love this guy. And the fact that they do, I just don't think that it's like a – like, you know what I mean? I think some Browns fans are looking at this as like a, this is a just like a emergency, like, hey, like, whatever, like, we'll bring you in on, like, third down or nickel coverage or in dime coverage. I, I just don't think that's the case. I think that they coveted a guy as much as they've coveted him. I think that they view him having some sort of large role with his team if he's able to. That's all. We can agree to disagree in this specific right. case, <laughs> yeah. Jordan. We'll, somewhere... we'll roll back the film uh, once the, roll, yeah, well, once the I, year rolls on. <laughs> look, I, I'll be, I, uh, I have no problem admitting I am wrong, yeah, I, and I, I know here, you don't here. either. It's, uh, this, is, <laughs> this is what the podcast is for. But Jordan, something I think we will agree on is that Hugh Jackson... Is a clown? <laughs> well, is a cl- Speaking of clowns, Bonnie, Cl- yeah. Jackson, there's an episode title right there for the podcast. Clowns. Uh, yeah, we can agree that Hugh Jackson's a clown. I was going to say not a good NFL coach, but sure, we'll, we'll go with clown too. Clown, clown also works. Hugh Jackson was on your radio station in a long-ranging interview about his tenure as the Cleveland Browns coach, he, the headline was saying that he, that the Browns executives lied uh, about their intentions with Jackson, that they weren't trying to win, that he tore down, that they tore down the roster and gave him no chance. And now he's the one that gets all the blame and he's going to write a book about it. And he's upset about all the jokes on and on and on. But Jordan, what were your thoughts when you were hearing this interview with Hugh Jackson? Boy, I mean, there's a lot of thoughts. First of all, like, it was funny that I had like a handful of friends texting me, like, why the hell do you have Hugh Jackson on? And I was like, well, one, do you think that was my call? And two, two, it was like, it was good radio. Was it not? Like it's pretty much as simple (laughs) as that. (laughs) You're not wrong. Yeah. Well, we're ready to move on from the, I'm ready to move on from it. I am too, but you were glued in as glued into the interview as I was. So like, it's good radio. And you know, he, uh, national outlets picked it up all across the country. I saw it on sports illustrated all those places. But Henry, my initial reaction was, first of all, just to like, I, I don't want to put myself in a spot where I have to defend Hugh Jackson because Lord knows that's a rabbit hole in itself to go down. But like, I get like, you, you all know where this came from, right? Like he, people, he's been going at it on Twitter and with a bunch of bronze fans who I guess have been coming at him kind of still pissed off about the whole one in 31 situation and blaming him. So I can get his frustration in that you would be like, okay, all these random people are coming at me for something that happened three years ago that like he played a role in it, but like I wasn't the only one that's responsible for this. So I have to say something like I get that. But at the same time, it's like, dude, one in 31 speaks for itself. Like, who was it the Dolphins? Was it two years ago where people were like, well, this might be the worst roster in NFL history. They're, they might be the next team to go 0 and 16. Henry, they went like 6 and 10. Like, sometimes you just fall on wins in the NFL. Like, it's hard to go win one game in two years. Like, that's just unprecedented stuff. Like, you don't see it. So, yeah, you, you played a huge role in that. And then my other thing was he was very contradictory and a lot of things that he was saying and talking about like hey you know like he was pretty brutal on, on poor Cody Kessler <laughs> he, I, I uh, have much to say about that but continue yeah 
So like uh, talking about like Cody Kessler and like, we all know he came out in that press conference when he was drafted and was like, yeah, like this is our guy. Like we trust him moving forward. We think he can be good, yada, yada, yada. And then he comes out in this interview and he's like, and I get the whole thing of like, you're not going to be a coach and get on in the press conference after you drafted a player and be like, yeah, I don't know what the hell we were doing there. This guy sucks. I can't win with him. I don't know why we drafted him. Like that would have been a bigger shitstorm than what's happening now. So I get that, but at the same time, so you're going to say that you didn't have any say in these, the conversation to draft Cody Kessler. You didn't have a say in the Deshaun Kaiser situation, like all these quarterback situations. But then when it comes to Baker and Hugh wants to say like, Hey, you know, uh, I don't get the whole Baker thing. I don't know why he came at me in Cincinnati. Like I was part of his success. I was part of who drafted him, who brought him in here. And it's like, okay, so, you were part of that, but you weren't part of all of the bad mistakes. It's like, so when did you all of a sudden become a part of this? And then shout out to Aaron Goldhammer, teammate. He called, kind of called him out on that. Like, he was like, you realize it sounds contradictory that like you're saying you didn't have anything to do with this, guys. But then the one guy that does succeed, you said you did have something to do with. And he kind of fumbled and gave like, you know, a kind of a BS answer. And that was to me when it was kind of like, okay, dude, like, I don't know what, I, like, what are you trying to get out of this? Like, you're not going to get hired again because you're coming out right now and you're just blasting the hell out of a former employee. Like, that's the exact opposite thing you would want to do if you're trying to get hired again. So, like, what are what, what are your intentions? And I guess I still really don't know the answer to that, Henry. It came off as so self-serving mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. And it, like you said, what... But, like, what, why, though? Because you know what I mean? Like, he's not... Henry, he's not going to get a job. And if he thought that he was going to, this did the opposite for him than help him. Because no. again, like, and we know the cult that the NFL is like, you don't blast another team after you got fired by them. And then another team is going to pick you up. No, because no, you're going to do the same thing that you just did that team to us. So why the hell would we hire you? You know what I mean? No, I don't, I don't think it's about that. I think it's, I don't think, he, I, I think at this point, the reason it's happening now is because Hugh Jackson knows he's not getting hired back in the NFL. No, yeah. it, to me, it's self-serving in the sense that he's trying to change the narrative about what happened when this team went one and 31 in, in two years. And he's been on this media rampage. It feels like for the last 18 months trying to defend himself and as you said, he, he take credit for the things that went well and then not take the blame for things that went poorly. And you also pointed out what I was going to say. The Dolphins two years ago were in this exact situation. Right. And you no, know, they didn't win eight games or make the playoffs, but they won a few games. And you could see the signs of, hey, this is an innovative coach. He's building a culture here. And they had less talent than the Browns had when they went 0-16. I that Dolphins team was a total teardown and they managed to win games because of the coaching and the culture that Brian Flores started to lay the foundation of in that season. And there was none of that from Hugh Jackson, the Browns. Yes. He's right about the fact that they tore the team down and expected to lose, but that doesn't mean you have to lose every single game, but one in two years and show no signs of progress either. And he started year three, and it didn't look any better. I, that first game in Pittsburgh was a crime that they didn't win that game. It, it was terrible coaching. And he deserved everything he got. Yeah, and see, his excuse there would be, okay, well, they forced an offensive coordinator on me. They wanted to take away play calling for me. And they brought in Todd Haley, and that started to mess things up. It's just it's just a lot of, a lot of nonsense, really, Henry. Like, I... I don't know what to buy into it. I don't know what to take from it. If anything, it's just like, 
I don't know, man. Uh, to your point, it, it was very self-serving. It seemed like he didn't want to like, it just like almost deflect blame for things. And here's the other thing too. So I don't know if you heard in that interview, but he, he mentioned on our air at 850 ESPN Cleveland that he took an extension, a hush-hush extension from the Browns after that one in 15 season. Hush-hush, we'll announce this later. You take an extension. So here's my question. So if you're being lied to about the direction that the franchise is going. And it becomes evident after you go one and 15, what direction this fan is, this team is going to, that they obviously want to lose. And apparently you were told like, Hey, we're ready to win. We just need you come on board, come coach here. And we'll go from there. And obviously they wanted to lose. So here's my question. If you're being lied to, and you know, you're being lied to in that sense, why would you take that extension to stay with an organization that is allegedly lying to you? It does not add up to me. None of this adds up. And your point about Cody Kessler, that didn't add up. That was yeah. that was absurd that he took the, that those kind of shots at, at Cody Kessler, who by all accounts is a stand-up guy, first of all, who's still in the league also as a backup. And Hugh Jackson, as you mentioned, when Cody Kessler was drafted, Hugh Jackson didn't give just like a party line about, hey, we thought he was good value. If you disagree with the pick, hey, I thought he was good value at that position. We're going to bring him in to compete in the quarterback room. Yeah, Simple answer. No. Hugh Jackson stood up there and said, trust me, trust, yes, me. trust me. I am yeah, the one. Right. I, I am taking ownership for this pick. We are going to build with Cody Kessler. Like that was the, the vibe he gave off from that press conference. And so now that it didn't work out and three years later, he's like every NFL GM or NBA GM that's like, oh, all the NBA GMs. Yeah, we were going to draft Giannis, but, and all the guys <laughs> right. Remember all the reports about all the people that were like, oh, we really liked Carson Wentz, but they, you know, they traded up and we couldn't get him. And then now you don't hear those reports very much anymore, right? Because all those guys are just trying to capitalize off the fact that Carson Wentz is good now. And that, and now that he's backslid, nobody says that anymore. Hugh Jackson is just using the fact that Cody Kessler didn't work out to now try to make himself look good and put the blame on other people. And that's ridiculous. That's not what happened. We were all there when he got drafted. That was not what happened at all. And he's just, as you said, contradicting himself and trying to prop himself up. And it's only hurting his reputation even more. Yeah. I don't, I don't understand what he's trying to do here. Like Henry, do you know, like, and I made this point on air the other day, like, have you ever met some, a person in your life that got fired and they were like, ah, you know what? Totally on me. <laughs> like, you know, I, 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 I fucked up. It was, it's on me, guys. Like, I, I, I messed up. I should have, I should have, I should have been fired. They, they should have fired me for what I did. Like, I've never met that person. It's always, hey, I got fired. Like, yeah, you know, it's kind of BS. Like, I didn't really deserve it. Like, I'm pretty pissed about it. Like, that's how it goes. <laughs> it, it never goes the opposite way of someone admitting that they were wrong and that they deserve to be fired. Like, I. I'm still waiting to meet that person. And to me, Hugh Jackson just seems like that disgruntled ex-employee. That's And there's really nothing more to it than that. It, Yeah, it, it's just, it's a bad look. And, and that's the thing, no matter what profession you're in, bad-mouthing a former employer publicly is not a good idea. Oh. It's not, it's never a good idea. It makes you look like the problem. And if anything, I feel like the takeaway from those two seasons now is only going to be that Hugh Jackson was the problem. I feel like he made things worse for himself with all with all of these comments. Yeah, and the other thing is too, and I don't want to dive too in, in, in too far into this, but he he pulled out the race card like three or four times in that interview, Henry, where he's talking about like 
hey, like the NFL has a problem in hiring minority coaches. And he literally used the phrase, I'm one of the best minority coaches in the game. And I can't find myself with a job. And this team did me wrong like that. And he pulled the minority coach card out on that. And I just, I don't know. It just seemed like it's like, Hugh, where, where are you going with this? Like, I don't understand. Like you started this interview, you know, placing blame here, placing here. And then all of a sudden you're pulling out the race card. Then all of a sudden you're throwing blame this way. Like it was like, remember that Dennis Rodman uh, gif where he's like, talking about getting the rebound he's like up here and then i was over here and then over here like <laughs> that's, that's exactly how this huge jackson interview went like i just I, I have no idea man it was good look good radio good and good entertaining no doubt about it but really just i don't know illogical <laughs> yeah <laughs> really I, I can say about it yeah he was he was just reaching he was reaching the entire time and and yeah i i was laughing people uh, you know, or like, oh, go get clicks or engagement or whatever. It's like, yeah, that's what makes money. I, I, yeah, right. I don't understand when, yeah. when, when people are like, yeah, the Hugh Jackson story was the number two story on ESPN yesterday, Jordan. Yeah, think about like, that. Like, yeah, that's what they did, and and it got a lot of good content. But if I was Hugh Jackson, I would not have done that interview. That was bad for Hugh Jackson, not for ESPN. Clearly. Forty Henry, forty-five minutes. <laughs> he went for forty-five minutes, man. <laughs> insane, insane. Jordan, there was one other topic I want to touch on because we got the news today that it is official. There will be 17 games in the NFL season going forward. The first, I guess, give me give me your thoughts generally on the idea of a 17 yeah. game season, and then we'll talk about the impact for the Browns. Yeah, I don't know, Henry. When I first saw this, I was kind of like, "Really, we're we're, we're doing this?" Like. Uh, it's just contradictory to all the things the NFL is preaching about player safety and, and mental health and, you know, CTE and, and, and everything that's going along with that. It's like to add another game kind of, doesn't that almost like take away any progress that you have made in on, on the front of, you know, player safety and all of that. And then you know, the media thought that I had Henry was okay. This is weird now. So like a team can't, unless you tie the game, can't go 500 anymore. Right. Like, it's either you're nine and eight or eight and nine or something along those lines. And then, so to me, for that to be the case and for us to be on an odd number at 17 right now, to me screams the inevitability of an 18 game season coming, yeah. mm -hmm. which is an even bigger contradiction of the 17 game season and all that player safety preach and preaching and all that. Like it just doesn't make sense to me, Henry. I can't see this as anything more than a money grab. I, I really can't. Like, what does it do for us? It doesn't it doesn't do anything. It just adds one more game where the team can make revenue from fans being in the stadium. And that's another thing Roger Goodell said today. They want to have fans in, in for every single game of the NFL season. Obviously, different states, states will be different and all that. But, okay, so that's more money for the TVs, more money for the teams. Like, that's all it is. I guess you can look at it and say, yeah, it's more money for the players as well. But I think a lot of players at this point, and I think Alvin Kamara was one of those who was vocal about it. Like, I think players would rather have the safety – then, you know, say, let me have one more game check. Let me, let me just, let me be healthy. Let me be safety or safe over that last game check. I think that's kind of how I came out on Henry. My initial reaction, just, it's a money grab. I mean, it's the NFL, it's a business, one of the richest businesses in the world. And they just got a little bit richer. The thing to me, first of all, you're, you're right that it's a money grab, but I, that, that comes off negatively 
it goes between the players and the owners. The players agreed to this in, 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 you know, collectively in terms of collective bargaining. Now that, that passed narrowly, of course, it was basically. 50, exactly. 50. That's what I was going to say. You only need 51 49 in that case. So it's like, that's democracy, I, 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 know that's, <laughs> I, know, I know, I know, no, I know it's a majority, but like, I don't know. I just feel like, like, think about that. Think about this, put it this way, Henry, a lot of the people in the NFL majority of the players that I would assume voted for this to pass are the guys that are, fighting to make practice squads for, you know, late round draft picks that aren't seeing the million dollar contracts. Like that's kind of how I think it is because those guys need the money because NFL doesn't guarantee contracts like other sports does. So I, again, I think that's kind of where the majority came from in the vote like that. And D Smith, I don't think he's doing these guys any favors, but that's a conversation for another time. It is, it is. And I, and I agree with you on that front, but I, my takeaway was just, I liked I, I don't think anybody likes change. And that's the part I don't like. You yeah. mentioned the records in terms of the regular season. It also messes up all time records and all that stuff. So that part is kind of a bummer the way you look at it. I saw something about how the bears have never had a quarterback pass for 4,000 yards, but now they'll get it because of that 17th game and all likelihood. <laughs> yeah, right. So it doesn't mess with the record books. So I don't like that part from a traditional standpoint. However, as a fan, another game is just another week I get to watch football. And so that part excites yeah. me. And I, I understand it, it, it comes off as a money play, but oh, okay, they, everybody makes more money. That's okay with me. Yeah, it's not affecting my life if the players and the owners agree to it. That, that's how it works. And yeah, the, your point about player safety is, is well taken. The, the NFL, the, the player safety has always been a mirage. And it, it has been the last several yeah. years as well. And I don't think this is any different. And oh, well. Well, so here's the thing, Henry, you talked about, it's just one more game. And, and I get that. And I agree. Obviously I'm a fan. Like I'll take all the football I can get. I'm, I'm sitting here like scratching my neck, like a fiend every single day because I want football. I want the Browns to be back. But um, at the same time, it's like, to me, this one more game means that like, Hey, like, I don't know. I just feel like we're going to start seeing, like I saw a tweet and I forget who it is. So sorry for not crediting you here, but like, it, the tweet said like, hey, well, you know what this means? Might as well put load management into the, in the NFL vocabulary now. And I was like, you know, that's a great point. I think that now we're going to see teams resting more. We're going to see players resting more because it's an extra game. That's extra tax on your body. That's, you know, all of this going on. I think that I get it like one more game, but I think that the product could be compromised a little bit in the fact that teams, I think, are going to be resting players now with this extra game. And, I, and it would probably be smart to. Because that's obviously a problem in the NFL. A lot of people are turned off by, hey, I'm turning on TNT on Thursday night for a Celtics Clippers game. And, you know, Kawhi Leonard isn't playing. Why isn't he playing? Like, I think that kind of issue, maybe not this year, maybe is, this is, becomes more of a thing as it starts to unfold and we start to get more used to it. But I do think that we're in store for that. It's possible. Uh, I, I could see it really only happening at the end of the year. I think with just 17 games, yeah. it's really tough to do that unless – you're, right. you're in a chief situation where you're up, up two games with and with two to go and, and you have the tiebreaker and you can just rush your guys the last two weeks. That's possible. I think that with the, the rest versus rest thing, I'm not, I'm not as worried about it. I, it, I could see it. It would be interesting uh, as far as a conversational topic. If a team chose to rest its players for more than the final week or in the middle of the season, I, that doesn't strike me as part of NFL culture. So I'm less worried about that. Yeah, but here's here's my point on that. Like you've heard from NFL players, and you know I work with a former three-time Super Bowl champion every day, and talks about like once you get into like week eight, week nine, week ten, every single player in the NFL is playing hurt. Every single one of them. 
everyone's going after the game before their for their shots. They're going before the game for their shots. Like that's just how it is. And I don't know. Like I know we can sit here and be like, well, what is one game extra game really going to do? It's like we don't know. You know, we don't know. Who knows? It could be nothing. It could be taxing. It could be more taxing than we thought on these guys. But I don't know. We'll see how it plays out. And 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 maybe they will have to make adjustments. I, as I said, I'm I more football is all all good with me. Jordan, <laughs> yeah. there is there is an impact though on the Browns specifically. Right. It, it looks like Browns Cardinals will be the Week 17 game. So that's or the Week 18 17th game overall. Week 18, I guess. Uh, yeah, they, yeah, yeah, right. They'll they'll get added to the schedule. Browns Cardinals. So that that will in A home theory, game as well. A uh, home game, yes, you're right, will have an impact on the Browns' season schedule. How do you feel about Browns-Cardinals being that last game of the season? I think uh, my initial thought was kind of like, hey, that's there's a chance that like that's a big-time game for both teams, right? Like, the Browns could be fighting for a playoff spot. Um, the Browns could be fighting for the division. The Cardinals could be play- fighting for the division. Of course, there's the whole J.J. Watt thing of, you know, he – didn't come to Cleveland, you know, Browns fans are going to be bitter about that. I'm sure they're going to let him know about that in, in the stands and all that. But yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, it's a good game, right? Like uh, obviously we're playing the NFC North this year. That's uh, how, how the draw went this year. So to get that random NFC West team, the Cardinals in here, obviously the Baker versus Kyler matchup, uh, two Heisman trophy winners from Oklahoma. Can't get enough of that. Like, I think it's a good matchup. I like the Cardinals and I like how we stack up against them. I just think that there's a good chance there's going to be some heavy, heavy implications on that game come, I want to, I want to say week 17, but I guess it's week 18. But come week 18, there might be some heavy implications on Browns, Cardinals. I, I smiled a bit when I saw that that was the game that got added, Jordan, yeah. because there could be some implications there. You're right. I am off the Cardinals bandwagon heavily. I can't wait to bet against were you ever? Were you on it? <laughs> no, no. I just feel like a lot of people, I feel like a lot of people are drinking the Kool-Aid a little bit with them this yeah. year. The JJ Watt signing, AJ Green, is, is some other guys uh, have signed there. I, I'm off this team. Col- I can't Col- wait McCoy. to Your bet Col- against Col- McCoy. The, Yeah, I can't. <laughs> Colt McCoy. Yeah. The breaking news before the <laughs> podcast, Colt McCoy is, right. uh, is an Arizona Cardinal. Uh, <laughs> that did not actually make it into the rundown, believe it or not. <laughs> This Cardinals team to me, I I just I don't get the hype. I I I will never understand yeah, why JJ Watt chose to go there unless it was just because he wanted to live in Arizona. Because I look at I, I just don't understand what team what everybody's seeing in this team. They're the fourth best team in that division. They're the fourth best team. I think San Francisco is going to be better than them this season. I certainly think as long as Russell Wilson's on Seattle, they're better than them. And the Rams, I, I might have as my NFC favorite. So they're the fourth best team. What evidence is there that Cliff Kingsbury is a good NFL coach? Thank you. Somebody needs to say, explain yeah. this to me. <laughs> Kyler, I think, although is potentially overrated based on his stats, he was banged up last year. The running element wasn't as much a part of his game, which obviously is important to him. So I'm willing to wait and see a little bit on him. However, go look at their numbers. They're bad. Yeah. Their offensive numbers in particular are bad. That offensive line is bad. And I have no faith in Clips Kingsbury as a, as a coach. So when I saw them as the last game, I thought, perfect. Another win towards the Browns playoff season next year, because that team is not going to be as good as everybody says they are. And I am so looking forward to betting against their win total and to rooting against them all season. 
Yeah, and the biggest point there is Cliff Kingsbury, right? I mean, as Browns fans, we can personally sit here and tell you for a fact that when you have a joke of a head coach who inherits a team with a clown, you might say. (laughs) Right. When you have a clown head coach that inherits a team with hype like this, we see how that can go. We saw it firsthand. And look, you were talking about like, hey, Henry betting against the Cardinals. Like, they, they, Henry, they kicked our ass. They kicked our ass two years ago with one Frederick Kitchens coaching the Browns. So, I mean, again, like, it's, it, it, it comes down to coaching for me. <laughs> yeah. Kenny and Drake with like 250 yards rushing. But yeah, um, again, it just comes down to coaching for me. And Cliff Kingsbury is the best. Like, I, now that Adam Gase is gone, I think we can. I, 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 can we? I think we can officially kind of say that Cliff Kingsbury probably is the worst head coach in the NFL. I can't think of someone off the top of my head that is even in the conversation for being worse than him. I, I, I've got a few names that come to mind. Uh, that's a, a, perhaps a topic for a different day. Uh, <laughs> worst that, coach in the NFL. <laughs> I think uh, I, I think there might be one in the, in the Browns own division in Zach Taylor, potentially. That's that's fine. Yeah, 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 <laughs> I can think right of him there. right away. Uh, <laughs> you're right. Though uh, so Cliff Kingsbury started really towards the bottom. Yeah, I, I, I just want to touch on that. I I was licking my chops a little bit when I saw that. And I saw a lot of people reacting like you did, where they're like, oh, could be a really intriguing game. And I was like, no, I yeah. can't wait for us to curb stomp the Cardinals in week 18 <laughs> when they are reeling on a six and 10 season about to be six and 11 Put them out of their misery. 17 game format. <laughs> so yeah, I am. Uh, I'll, I'm excited for that one. I, that may come, that take may come back to bite me, but I'm going to live. I'm going to die on that hill that the Cardinals are not going to be good this season. So I had to get that <laughs> right. in on this podcast. We might have to roll back the tape a couple of times for this podcast. Some, uh, some I, bold <laughs> proclamations have been made on by both parties here. <laughs> Hey, I, I'm not afraid to be wrong. I know you yeah, are no, either, either, but no. I, when you have a strong opinion, you got to come out and say it. And I, yeah, and I am, absolutely. I am strongly opposed to the Cardinals and hopefully, hopefully we're right more times than we're wrong. That's the idea. Yeah. And uh, I'll tell you for a fact, I will, uh, I will absolutely be banging that uh, under on the Cardinals <laughs> as well. So maybe, maybe might run into you at the sports book there. Uh, making that same bet. <laughs> Speaking of gambling, Jordan, it's time to sign off because there's one more NCAA March Madness game right. to go. And I've gambled on every single game so far of the tournament. I need to place it. <laughs> Wait, so how, how are you doing? Are you up? Or you're down? I'm actually up. I'm, I'm down. actually up. Damn, I'm down. I'm I was down so heavy. bad betting college basketball this year. Full, like, oh, hand terrible. up. Awful. Awful. But the tournament has made back a lot of money for me. So I got to go place a bet on UCLA, Michigan, because I don't have one in yet. So we're going to have to wrap up this podcast, Jordan. I know a fantastic reason to do so. <laughs> Until next time. Browns fans, appreciate you listening. Please subscribe, rate, review, all that good stuff. Jordan, thank you, as always, for coming on. We'll be back next week with more draft talk and turn our eyes in that uh, direction. Also, if there's clowny news, of course, we'll touch on that and, and everything else Browns related as well. So until next time, Browns fans, just two words for you. Go Browns.